Hi, good morning. Thanks for coming. So, it's Hanukkah, and it's also uh, a new month. Today is the first day of the month of Teves, um, and, uh, and so there's a lot going on right now. And I just, um, I noticed something, actually, um, that, uh, that I just want to start with. You know, every, every, uh, every month has a different quality to it, which is really special, because if you know... If you know the um, the personalities of the months, and when you when you look into the sources, each of the Jewish months has a um, has a different tribe, a different um, you know um, son of uh, Jacob associated with it, and uh, has a different letter from the from the uh, olive base, the uh, the alphabet and has a different permutation of the letters of Hashem's holiest name, which uh, hint at something, and a different, um, a different passage from the Torah that the arrangement of those letters hint at. So there's um, and a different quality, a different personality quality, or a different aspect of life that needs fixing. So, so that, that is especially uh, uh, auspicious, like that we have a special opportunity to, to address right now. So the month of Teves, just as an overview, um, it's it's the tribe of Dan, which will explain uh, the significance of that in a moment. It's also um, it's also the letter Ayin. Ayin uh, is interesting. It's an interesting uh, letter uh, in the alphabet because not only is it the name of a letter, but it's actually a word in Hebrew as well. It means I. Ayin means I. So. It's the letter Ayin. Um, and the, the quality that needs uh, fixing in this month that we're beginning today is anger, which is very interesting also, especially that it's Hanukkah and uh, it's anger. Also today, um, right now, um, there's a, a war that started yesterday. I don't know if you're aware of it, but Israel is at war right now. I mean, if I... I hope that's not a uh, hyperbolic way of saying it, but I was reading the accounts of this, um, the, the Gaza operation right now, um, and uh, it's, they said it's going to be weeks. So I don't know what else to call it exactly. Um, uh, anyone who's been following the news knows that there's been a, 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 uh, a, a, a truce that's been in effect between Hamas and Gaza and, um, and Israel. And uh, they, they said it was going to last for six months. Six months is up. And the, at the end of the six months, um, for the last uh, week, the, um, Hamas has been firing uh, missiles into the civilian areas of, of Israel. So after a week of daily uh, rocket launches, they, they've responded. And um, it's unfortunate, but... But this is, you know, sometimes you, you have to respond. You can't just sit there while people are firing rockets on your communities and schools, you know. It's good. It's, un- it's, it's, it's unfortunate because the loss of life is unfortunate and because people should never have to go to war. If, if war is necessary, then, then it has to be done. But it's unfortunate when, when there's a failure of human beings to look at each other as God's children and to respect each other. 
It doesn't mean that it's not necessary sometimes. But it's always unfortunate when it has to be waged. That, that's the reality. So Hamas lobbed 80 more missiles today. 80 more into Israel. Well, And they're reaching further now than ever before. That's, that's yeah, why they're going in to begin with. So, so that's, that's, that's where we're at right now. So anyway, uh, not, not uh, coincidentally, the fixing of this month is anger, um, which is Teves. So getting back to Teves. So, um, so, so one, of the, one of the interesting things, and I want to get into the permutation of Hashem's name also, because it's, uh, I, n- I noticed something which is a sort of an overview of the pattern of the way the, the letters become combined. Uh, and it's uh, just maybe just worth pointing out. Um, in fact, maybe I'll just do it right now. Uh, if you'll just focus for one moment, it's not really so complicated, but you just have to concentrate for a moment. Um, there's Hashem's holiest name is, it's the letter Yud, and then the letter He, and the letter Yud, and the letter He. What we say in, in conversation, we refer to the Yud Ke Vav Ke. And it really, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a conglomeration or a, a condensation, however you want to say it, of the words Haya, uh, Hove, um, and Yihye, which is uh, the, 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 the word to be in English, existence itself, past, present, and future, all combined into one word. So it's, it, 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 it's an expression of infinity. Um, so, uh, so this is, and it's unpronounceable. We don't know how to even pronounce the name. We, well, we say in conversation or in, in, in praying, we use the word Adonai, but that's really not the exact pronunciation of it. We don't, we don't really know the pronunciation of it anymore. And it was only said once a year, by the way, by the high priest of Israel, the Kohen Gadol, on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, he would go into the holiest place in the world, which is the Holy of Holies, and, um, and, uh, and pronounce his name. So, so anyway, there are... There are 12 different ways to combine these four letters. 12 different ways to combine these four letters. And there are 12 different months. So there's a combination for each of the months. Okay? Everyone with me so far? Okay. Now, now interestingly, it's not just a... The, the, the way that these letters are combined is systematic. It does, it's not just like, well... The first month of the year is this, and then the next month of the year is this, and we'll keep on just randomly combining the letters until we've got uh, 12 different combinations for 12 different months. If you actually look at the ordering of the combinations, it's, it's very systematic. You've got, um, remember, you've got 12 possible combinations, and you've got four letters. So what you have is four groups of three. So in other words... Three, the first three, starting with Nisan, which is the first month of the year, which is where Pesach falls. The, fir- the first three months of the year are combinations leading with the letter Yud, the first letter of Hashem's name. The next combination of three are starting with the letter He, which is the second letter of Hashem's name. The third group, the next, the next three months, are combinations beginning with the letter Vav, the third letter of Hashem's name, and the last group are combinations 
with the letter He again, because there are two He's in the four-letter name of Hashem. Okay, so you're working down Yud, three different permutations, He, three different permutations, Vav, three different permutations, He again, three different permutations. Okay? And then that way you get all 12 permutations. So it's systematic if everyone is following. So now, what's the reason why I'm bringing this up right now is that we're beginning with Teves, the last group of three. Okay? Which means that we're beginning the last group of permutations with the last letter of Hashem's name, which stands for this world. The bottom hey correlates with this world. Okay? Malchus, we say. Sorry for those of you who are here for the first time. This is a little bit technical, but hopefully, hopefully we'll get to some points that will be very practical that we can use in our lives. So, so the, the last letter of Hashem's name stands for this world. And we're entering into the permutation of that last letter, hey. So now let's look at the quality that needs fixing again. As the light, this is tracking the light as you descend down the letter of the letters of Hashem's name. You're tracking the light from the highest aspects of heaven down into this world. As that light sort of reaches into this this last hey, which stands for this world, it enters into this world, and what's the first thing that we have to fix? Anger. So, I think that this is significant. In other words, you know, we're composed of two essential parts. We've got our bodies, and we've got our souls. So, this world, so to speak, is where the soul enters into the body. And you know something? When the soul enters into the body, it has a lot of questions. It sort of descended from a realm of perfection down to a realm, which is where we exist, where there's all sorts of stuff going on and all sorts of stuff not going on. And it's very, very problematic. And very, very mysterious. I have to share with you just one of my all-time favorite teachings. At the end of our lives, at the end of 120, as we say, we'll have answers to all of our questions, but we won't be able to do anything about it. Right now, we don't have answers to all of our questions, but we can do something about it. So, the soul enters into this realm, and it makes sense that one of the big issues is anger. Is anger. One of my very strong beliefs, and this is based on observation and just kind of just thinking about this quite a bit, is that a lot of people who say that they don't believe in God really do believe in God. In fact, I think, I dare say that most people believe in God. Even those who say they don't believe in God but those who say they don't believe in God are angry at God. They're very, very angry at God. And I'm not even saying that they don't have reason to be angry at God. They may have excellent, excellent reason to be angry at God. But that's very different from not believing in God. That's very, very different from it. But if you want to go a little bit further into the logic of that emotion, they say, well, wait a second. If, if God is good, or if there is a God and God is perfect... How can he have created an imperfect world? 
So that means either there is no God since the world is imperfect, or God is not good since he's created a world where there's a lot of hatred. So there's actually quite a wise bit of logic behind denying the existence of God. And I'm sure there are a lot of answers to this, but the answer that makes the most sense to me, which I can't stop sharing with you, it's not that I've shared it with you before, I can't stop sharing it with you, (laughs) is that the world isn't finished yet. (laughs) There's imperfection in this world because the world is not done yet. And that's our job right here. This is a work session. And that's what's so discombobulating about living in modern-day America especially, because every message that you get is that you are, this lifetime is an extended cruise. (laughs) And everyone is offering you services for you to better enjoy your 80-year to 120-year cruise in this world. And if something is going wrong, surely it's not because there's a problem with the cruise company. (laughs) It's your problem. You haven't doled out enough money for all of the creature comforts to make your cruise trip better, you know? So, So it's just, it's confounding. It's absolutely confounding. Um, you know, just want to segue for one, one moment. Um, you know, one of the, not that I'm such a, so knowledgeable in this, in this, in this field, but I, I, I do think it's very interesting, which is that, um, increasingly the field of economics, the study of finance and, and the way it, it, it works has become more and more psychological. Um, books like Freakonomics have become bestsellers, which are applications of economics and, and contemporary society, and people don't just want to know how, if you change the monetary rate over here, how it's going to affect inflation over there. People are increasingly studying why people buy, why people don't buy, um, and, and all sorts of the psychology that underpins economics. And one of the offshoots of this has been that economists of all people are now looking increasingly into the field of happiness. So, so the relationship between happiness and money, and especially as the economy um, continues in this, in this way, this, this correlation between economics and happiness is being delved into more and more and more and more. And I was listening on the radio, and I, I heard a couple of things that I just thought were very striking that I, I, I want to share. One is the point that they're, they're trying to be a little bit more... Um, exact what, what the word wealth means, what it means to, to be rich, so to speak, which is amazing because we define this in Perkeavos in the Talmud, you know, thousands of years ago. Who is the rich person? Someone who's satisfied with what they have. Sameach Bechelko, someone who's happy with what they have. And, and I'll, I'll show you how, like, a lot of the studies right now are really coming to... Uh, to, to, to prove this, you know, in, in, quantitatively, you know, with actual numbers. But anyway, the, 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 the point that I want to bring up is the fact that people are realizing that, uh, that, that they have to look at total happiness. And that when they look at um, wealth, 
no one, no reasonable person would want to be, um, quote unquote, rich and miserable. No one would choose that. I'll have a ton of money in the bank and I'll be, and I'll suffer emotionally. No one, no one would choose that. So therefore, what is the, what is the ideal bottom line? Is to be happy and to have your basic needs met, at the very least, right? You know, I, I'll tell you something. I, I had a wonderful moment um, by myself yesterday <laughs> on Shabbos, where I was thinking, I was, you know, it's Shabbos, and, you know, we don't work on Shabbos, thank God. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of reflecting, and my, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to write this thing right now, you know, not for anyone, just I'm kind of writing it on my own, hoping that, you know, hopefully there will be a buyer for it. And, and I'm just kind of thinking about it on Shabbos. And then I said to myself, you know, it's Shabbos. What are you thinking about this for? Don't think about it. It's not, you know, whether it's technically work or not, it doesn't even matter. Just even spiritually, it's just, I don't even want to be thinking about work right now. And then I asked myself the next question. I said, well, what's the most you can hope is going to happen from this project? What's the most, 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 most you're going to hope for, dream of from this thing? I said, well, let's see. I guess that I were to sell it and that it were to be get on the air and that it have a long run and that it be a critic's darling, right? That, that would probably be the most I could hope from this project. And then, here's the end of the story. Um, I was at the Happy Minion at this moment. I said to myself, and let's say that were the case right now. It were in its fourth season, fifth season, it's a big hit. It's a critic starring right now. Where would you be? What would you be doing right now? And I said, well, I'd probably be at the Happy Minion on Chavez, where I am right now. And I thought, fantastic. That is great. That's fantastic. So what do you have to think about work for? You're, I mean, you're already, you're already doing what you would dream of be doing, right? So thank God. Um, so, I mean, God willing, that would be... In Jerusalem also, Vesa Vigdash, all the rest. Uh, I'm not talking about my, my ultimate dream. I was just giving you a, just a little report on that train of thought. But, but anyway, um, but anyway what, what they were saying, though, which, which is kind of a sideline, is that, is that, uh, that there are other forms of uh, satisfaction and um, wealth, if you will. And that's uh, this emotional, this ultimate bottom line where the bottom line is not necessarily the, 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 the number that you have in your bank account, um, but the bottom line is your level of happiness when all of your different, um, you know, aspects of life are factored in, finance being just only one of them. And they were saying that, in, that, that social bonds between people and in a community are very, very rewarding and very emotionally satisfying. And that in harder times economically, what happens is, is that you see communities really coming together more so. And as a result, a lot of these social bonds, this emotional wealth, if you will, actually, interestingly, begins to flourish. Because people have to work together more. Maybe you're not going to go to a, uh, say, a very fancy restaurant or to a ski resort. Maybe it will just sort of be... Um, you know, having tea with friends at home or, or whatever it is. But nonetheless, the, the direct result is increased emotional relationships, which become very, very rewarding. 
which produce happiness, which is the bottom line. So it's a, it's, it's actually a, a, a wonderful kind of like, no one should have to suffer the deprivation to get those satisfying emotional relationships. But nonetheless, it's just amazing how God just keeps on bringing happiness into the world, basically. You know? And I, I, I would just like to just speculate that, you know, when I was young, I don't know if it still goes on anymore because it's already maybe a different generation. But when I was younger, you know, people used to be very nostalgic um, of course, it was a time of great suffering also. I mean, I'm, I'm not dismissing that. Um, but the, the Great Depression, people used to have a level of nostalgia about it. And it's sort of like curious, why would anyone be nostalgic for this horrendous period of U.S. history? And yet you'd see people reflecting about it. And I think one of the reasons is because that was also a time where those emotional bonds probably really flourished. And so there actually are some positive associations there. But anyway, we shouldn't have to endure all that. We should be close and have all of our needs met and, and all the rest. But let's get back to this point about Teves. You have here in the permutation of Hashem's name, we're entering into the last grouping, which is correlating with the bottom letter He, which correlates with this world, and so when the light descends into this world, the soul, so to speak, going into the body, the first thing that we have to fix is anger. Because we have, I would suggest, so many questions when we enter into this world. You know, I saw a, a movie, it's just out, and I, I really would recommend it, you know. I, it's called The Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. And um, it's about someone who's born, he's, a, he's born physically a baby, but he's born like 80 years old. And as the movie progresses, he becomes physically younger and younger and younger. But he becomes emotionally uh, older and older and older. And, um, and uh, you know, by the time that he's 15, he actually has dementia. You know, like an old person might have. You know, should know from him. And he's in this very traumatized state and he's looking down at the ground. I'm not quoting the line exactly, but he says, I feel as though, or maybe he's even younger than 15 at this point. He says, I mean physically, um, but he's probably in his 80s at this point. And he says, he says, I, I'm sensing that I've lived an entire life, that I have so many memories, that so many things have happened to me, but I don't remember any of them. So there's this sort of this heartbreaking tension between knowing and not knowing. And when we enter into the world, when we enter into the world, it says that when we were in our mother's wombs, we learn the entire Torah. And then when we're born, an angel touches our lips and we forget everything. And um, usually, or I would say always, I've heard this told as a very positive thing in the sense that you're sort of like prepared. So, so this world isn't so much about learning as relearning or remembering as opposed to learning for the first time or that when you hear certain teachings, 
and you know that they're true, that they'll really resonate within you because you've actually learned them before. But I wonder if there isn't some level of discombobulation also. <laughs> the idea that you know everything and, and yet you know nothing at the same time. If that isn't on some level, on some level, uh, a cause for, for a bit of consternation. I know that I heard that it's said that Kahanim, people who are born from this, uh, the, the priestly class, if you will, that Kahanim are angry, it says. This is a teaching that we have. And so different explanations are given. Why would a Kohen be, have this aspect of anger? And, um, and uh, one of the explanations that I heard is because there's so many mitzvahs having to do with um, the avoda, with the the service in the holy temple. And there's no holy temple for them that they're uniquely born and prepared to do these mitzvahs in the holy temple. And there's no, there's no temple right now for them to do it. So there's a certain level of frustration that exists on a soul level because there's this great potential and no vehicle to bring it out into the world with. And so I wonder, I wonder if, if there isn't a broader connection, perhaps, perhaps not, I'm just throwing it out as a bit of speculation, on a soul level, for those of us who know so deeply because we learned the whole Torah, for those of us who know so deeply and yet somehow not to have full access to all of that learning. I, if anything, I'm sure God didn't do it to frustrate us, but only to motivate us to want to uncover the treasures that are within us. Um, I want to approach this idea of the light coming down into this world, the soul entering into the body in a, from a different perspective, but I'm talking about a related, a related sort of, uh, you know, type of flow right now. I heard Reb Shlomo say something very, very interesting. You know, Hanukkah is unique of all the Jewish holidays. There's only one Jewish holiday that goes over two months. If you think about it, you know, all of our long holidays, let's say the eight-day ones or seven days in Israel, Sukkot is all in Tishrei. It's right smack in the middle of Tishrei. Pesach, right smack in the middle of Nisan. Nothing overlaps into two holidays except Hanukkah. Hanukkah starts in the month of Kislev and overlaps into the month of Teves. Very interesting. I mean, that's a, that's a very, very, very striking dynamic and is unique to, to Hanukkah. Now listen to this aspect of it. I heard Reb Shlomo say, what's the tribe associated with Kislev? Is Benjamin. Now, how is Benjamin born? Rachel, his mother, has a very difficult pregnancy and she's just entered into the land of Israel. So now he gets over the border, right? They're now in Israel, they're over the border, and she dies during childbirth, and yet Benjamin is born alive. So this idea of crossing over the border of Hanukkah, where the bulk of Hanukkah is in Kislev, and it's the month of Benjamin, crosses over the border into Teves, 
And what tribe comes out in Teves? Dan. Now, interestingly, spiritually speaking, Dan is the lowest of all the tribes. It's the lowest of all the tribes because it was the one tribe where even when we left Egypt, there were still incidences of idol worship associated with the tribe of Dan. This is one of the reasons why you have in the construction of the Beis Amigda, in the Mishkan, um, the holy tabernacle in the desert, you had two main architects. You had someone from the tribe of Yehuda, which is the leader, the, the, Yehuda is the king, and from the tribe of Dan. So it was the highest and the lowest coming together and working together. And you have other incidences of Yehuda and Dan. But it's very interesting that this month, which is sort of like I'm saying, the light descending into this world, the soul entering into the body, anger being an issue that has to be addressed, and the tribe being Dan, which was of all the tribes the one associated with the problems of Avodazora, of idol worship. Avodazora means idol worship. Because when you enter into this world, it's so easy to see other powers at work besides the one God behind everything. And now we can make a connection with the letter of the month of Teves, which is Ayin, which means I. What lies more to us than the I? What sees multiplicity where there's truly only unity more than the I? One of the things that we pray for in the Siddur, right before Shema, it says, we say, Vaha er inenu. Vaha er inenu, which means God enlighten, Vaha er, Ha er, the, the, the lightning. That's, it begins with the letter hey, but forget about that for a moment. It means, letters, it begins with the letter aleph. Because that's for, that's how you spell or, which is light, with an aleph. So take this aleph and enlighten our eyes, the ayin. It's kind of interesting, at least by, by the way we, we do it today. Both the letter aleph, which is the first letter of the aleph base, which stands for one, the oneness of God. And the ayin, which means I, which stands for multiplicity, both of those letters are silent. They're both silent, but we say, God, take, take the oneness of your light, the aleph of or, the oneness of your light, and put it into my eyes. So instead of seeing the multiplicity around me, that I should just see your oneness. So, so you might think then, you might think that the end of Hanukkah, you might think that the end of Hanukkah, since the end of Hanukkah is always entering into the month of Teves, which is the month of Dan, which is the month of the letter Ayin, which is the fixing of anger, you might think that all of that then, that what are the darkest nights of Hanukkah? The darkest nights of Hanukkah must be the end of Hanukkah. Because it's correlating with all of those things. But interestingly, who knows what the real darkest night of Hanukkah is? Does anyone know? It's the fifth night of Hanukkah. Why? Seems random, right? Why would the fifth night of Hanukkah be the darkest night of Hanukkah? Because an amazing thing, on the calendar, 
Every single night of Hanukkah can fall on Shabbos, except the fifth night of Hanukkah. It will never happen. It's just the way the calendar works. The fifth night of Hanukkah will never fall on Shabbos. It's just the way it works. Therefore, I, I, I saw from the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, and I think this is not just a Chabad custom, but a Hasidic custom in general, that the custom is to make a party on the fifth night of Hanukkah. In other words, if that's the darkest night of Hanukkah, you want to go and you want to bring light to the darkest place. But that tells us a key, though, which is that the definition of darkness is its distance from Shabbos. <laughs> so to the extent that we're connecting with Shabbos, we're turning ourselves into lights. To the extent that we disconnect ourselves from Shabbos, then, as Reb Shlomo might say, not so much. <laughs> right? So, so, Shabbos is the great light. And I asked him one time, I said, I said, you know, you go all around the world and you've really made this mitzvah of Shabbos into kind of like the main thing that you, that you, that you kind of communicate. I mean, he communicated everything, but, but really Shabbos. Why Shabbos? And he said to me, because Shabbos is paradise. And he says, people really need paradise. And um, I'll just say just on a personal level that getting back to kind of what I was saying before, you know, when I thought to myself, well, if this thing that I'm trying to work on a little bit right now, if, if, if it were to reach its, you know, you know the dizzying heights of, of, of what, you know, the, the potential of this thing is, the idea that I'd still be doing what I'm doing on Shabbos, that's, 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 that's a testimony to the greatness of Shabbos. That's a testimony to the greatness of Shabbos. You know, I'll give you another example of it. I was thinking one time, you know, imagine whatever your own personal success fantasy is, if you will. You know, if you're in real estate, you just built, I don't know, this huge luxury tower in the middle of Manhattan or something like this. Or if you're a painter, you know, you, you've just gotten a, a painting or an exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Or if you're a, you know, if you, if you write pop songs that, you know, it's, it's the number one hit across America, you know. Um, whatever, whatever your success fantasy is in your field, right? Now imagine yourself celebrating that success. Right? Now, how are you going to celebrate your most extreme version of your success? Well, you know, I'll give you one example. You, you all have something else. But it might be like, well, I'm sitting by a pool and I'm smoking a cigar with a drink in my hand. Okay? So now let me ask you something. How much does a drink cost? <laughs> You go to a really fancy place, $15, say. How much does a cigar cost? Maybe if you want a really nice Cuban cigar, let's say $30. So that's $45. So you know what? You can take $45 and do that right now. 
Okay, so you'll say to me, well, wait a second, what about that incredibly satisfying feeling that came from all the hard work and everything like that, that really is part of that? So new, think about God. (laughs) You know, I'm not trying to disincentivize you from working, but I'm trying to say that, that, you know, Rabbi Nachman tells a story about this, uh, this, this person who has this, 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 this possession, right? I don't know, I, I, I forgot how it goes exactly, whether it's a box or whether he has something in his closed hand. That may be it. So one of, one of the closed hand, okay. He's got something in his closed hand and they're chasing after him and they're chasing after him and they finally catch him and he opens up his hand and there's nothing in his hand. So much of contemporary society is giving us this incredibly vague notion of happiness, this incredibly vague notion of success. And we're running and we're running and we're running and we're arguing and we're ruining relationships and we're forgetting about all the important stuff. And we're running, we're running, we're running and then we see, wait, the hand was empty. There was nothing in the hand. So... So let me just close with this then, which is that one of the great, great things, one of the greatest things about Torah is that it's so into definition. It's so into defining things. How, when, why, and then exactly how. And then if you want to be really careful... You can even do it that way. But, you know, I mean, it's like so, it's so definite. It's so definite. It's the essence of definite. And, you know, one of the greatest tools of the Yetzirah, the the evil inclination, is to give you this gauzy kind of, sort of like, you know, vague notion of, Yeah, that. It's kind of shadowy, you know? And the only way, the only way to fight against that is by exactly knowing what it is that you want and pursuing that. And, and, and with that in mind, we can understand a, a terrific bit of advice that our sages have given us. If you have trouble with a particular mitzvah, right? There's something that is part of the blueprint of reality, of our, of the game plan for our lives that we ideally are living. Study the laws of that particular thing with someone who can really, you know, who knows you and who will be able to really give them over properly. And, 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 and all of a sudden, you'll find that that mitzvah that you had so much trouble with becomes easier to do. And the reason is because when you shine a light on vagueness, one of the reasons why things are difficult to do is because you don't exactly know what it is. When you know exactly what it is, then you can have an ordered approach in terms of conquering it. Okay, that's all it is? It's not that? I thought it was that. No, it's not that. Well, I thought it was this. No, it's not this. 
You mean that's all it is? That's all it is. Well, can I start here with this one step? Absolutely. Okay. Now all of a sudden I'm empowered. <laughs> I'm not dealing in the realm of fear anymore because I know what it is. And I've got a steady approach. And then I'll take it as, as, as well as I can take it, you know? I'll proceed according to where I am in my life. So, so just to tie up the other end in terms of this part of the year that we're in right now, this idea of entering into the last letter of Hashem's name, this world, the light descending into this quadrant of the world, which is the darkest place. This world is the darkest place. As we say many times, God is the most concealed in this world that he can be, where if you look for him, he can still be found. If he were any more concealed and you looked for him, you wouldn't be able to find him. <laughs> He's as concealed as he can be, where if you look for him, you can still find him. So as we're entering into this quadrant of the year and bringing light to this, this last aspect, right? Let's just be mindful not to be angry, to fix our anger, to understand that, you know something? You know, in a dark room that's unfamiliar, which is this world, it's a dark room that's unfamiliar, you're going to bump into things, that's okay. <laughs> it might even hurt. I hope it doesn't, but, but don't get angry. Don't get angry. And you know, you have to understand something. The Rambam says something very interesting. Sometimes occasions call for anger. He says, in those instances, you can wear a mask of anger, but don't have anger in your heart. In other words, you can behave in an angry way if the occasion calls for it. But not, not in your heart. Not in your heart. And remember... We have the opportunity right now to address this letter Ayin, which is the Gematria of 70, which stands for the 70 nations. Right? And to try to put the oneness, the oneness, the oneness in the world, to reveal the oneness even in the darkest places. Have a good week. You know, David, anger can be-